Welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. This is the place where we take a no bullshit look at life's little lessons. Here, together, we find the spiritual glory in even the most wicked hard story. This is a journey from fear back to love and how we can find our greatest strength and happiness in some of the most unlikely places. I believe that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Hey, you guys. Welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. I am so delighted to be here with you guys. And so, we're going to dive right in dive right into this. This is kind of a serious topic. And this is something that is near and dear to my heart. I'm not sure what I'm going to call this one. But it might be something like our need for mind training, our need for mind training, or something like that. But it's going to have to do with our ability to place our mind where we want it. (laughs) And so I'm going to start off with a little story because that's what I always do, right? Storytelling and spirituality, that's like my 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 hats and spirits playground. So um, as always, I jotted down a few things so my, my 53-year-old brain wouldn't forget <laughs> some important things I wanted to say. But also I have um, a quote on here. Uh, and I, like I always say, if I'm going to quote somebody else, especially verbatim about something serious, I want to make sure that I get it right. So um, I have been, so some of you may or may not know that I used to live in Los Angeles. And when I lived in LA, I was really exposed a lot to um, just Hollywood. And it became really normalized to see like movie stars everywhere, whatever. And there have always been certain actors or people that I've come across that I've seen, whether it's in person uh, at the movie theater I used to work at or online or whatever. And, um, and Will Smith has always been a person and a character because I do think part of his uh, persona is a character, right? That I have always found, um, have I always found, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? fascinating in a way. And and let's put it that way. And um, I've always found him very charming in some ways. And I always also felt like there was there was something else going on underneath the surface, but definitely have admired him, um, respected him and have seen a ton of his movies and listened to his music and all that stuff. So if you're um, if you've been paying attention to what Will is up to, if you're a fan or whatever, then you may know that he just came out with a new memoir. Um, And uh, I'm going to read it at some point, but I don't, right now I'm not reading any memoirs. I always say until my own memoir is done, um, like other people's memoirs are shelved. I don't, I don't like to uh, read kind of like what I'm writing in a way. Um, Normally I love memoirs, right? I have actually a stack of them that I'm waiting to dive into once, once my own first draft of my book is done. But so not only did he recently just come out with his memoir called Will, but he also did a series on YouTube. Um, It was like six episodes and it was called something like the best shape of my life. 
So if you, again, if you follow him, Will Smith, the actor, the, the, you know, the, he's also a father and he's a husband and he's a son and he is a, um, used to be a rapper. Uh, you know, I think he's also done some music producing, definitely some movie producing. Um, but if you've been paying attention, he did a post on social media, um, not too long ago about how he was in the worst shape of his life. And he did this really, you know, funny picture quote unquote, I'm doing quote unquote, funny picture of him in his underwear, just letting his gut hang out like the whole thing. And the internet blew up, the internet blew up and dads everywhere, dads in their quote unquote, dad bods everywhere <laughs> went crazy posting their pictures and saying, thank you, Will, for allowing us to also post our dad bods. And also, you know, with, with COVID and everybody being at home and like all these things, a lot of people have gained weight. And Will was saying that he had gained weight on purpose for a, a role he was playing, I think in King Richard, which is the Venus and Serena Williams story about their dad and their, their rise to fame. Um, so I can't wait to see the film. Actually, I might watch it this weekend. Um, but he was saying that he initially had put on weight for that role and then like COVID hit and then like things got out of control. So it was fascinating, but I'm, I'm telling you all, this is the backstory because this is the impetus of where today's, um, today's idea, uh, for the show, or I'm not even going to call it an idea. It's, it's more like I felt a calling and a pull to talk about this. So Will is doing this um, six episode thing on YouTube about getting in the best shape of his life. Now, I did not know this until I started watching it because I, 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 I'm fascinated by people. Let me say this. I'm fascinated by um, how people think, why they think and believe what they do. I'm just fascinated by my fellow uh, men and women, my brothers and sisters and why we uh, tell the stories we tell and the identities we have and the beliefs that we have and how it shows up in the world and how we all interact and things play out. So I sat to watch this, this six episode series. And I also sat to realize that it's, it's, it's a behind the scenes peek at him in this process of writing his memoir. So this was like, oh, double amen hands. This is like double bonus for my voyeurism and my curiosity to get to see what he's doing. You know, way back in the day, I used to be a personal trainer and I used to really be into, um, I never became a bodybuilder, although I was always a gym rat and a weightlifter, but I used to really follow a lot of bodybuilders careers. And I was fascinated by the way people can transform themselves. And I think that muscles just happen to be the um, thing that, uh, uh, let me say it this way. I was fascinated with bodybuilders because their transformation in their physiques is so easily seen, right? It's a very external representation of the hard work and whatever. Now I, I'm more, and I'm still, I still am fascinated by the human body and what it's capable of, you know, like David Goggins, some of you might know who Goggins is, you know, he's one of the, he's like the main ass kicker on my spiritual team because <laughs> I'm fascinated by him about his physique and also the way his mind works. And so um, I've always been fa fascinated in like transformation. So I'm like, oh, here's Will. He's going to be doing this thing. He's documenting, right? He's doing this documentary series of how he's going to get in the best shape of his life. But at the same time, I get this sneak peek into the process he's using of writing his book. And what I, I can glean from how he was quote unquote writing his book is he was actually a lot of it. I think I, I might, you know, cause you know, TV stuff 
YouTube videos are edited. So some of what I saw is he had like a huge TV screen up on the wall that was like a monitor. And I think it was his brother who would type in and Will would kind of like pace and walk around and lay on the couch and tell stories verbally. And his brother would like type it in. And I'm sure obviously Will probably did some typing of his own, but it looked like he was more of an orator. He was more of a verbal storyteller and it was getting captured. So just seeing all this was so fascinating. But here's my point. Let me get to the fucking point. <laughs> so during what he was doing in this process of trying to lose weight, at some point he, I don't want to do any spoilers in case somebody wants to watch it. But at one point, this kind of like this breakdown. And what we start to see is that Will, as he's writing it or after he wrote it, he brought in his family members and anybody he wrote about in the book. And he sat down with them. He said he gathered some of you know the smartest people he knew, authors he knew, but also the people he wrote about. And he gave them a chance to respond, to hear what he wrote you know, before it became public, um, to hear what he wrote to see if they had any, you know, feedback. And he said he wanted to give people a chance to respond. So we saw, you know, um, he was sitting at the table with a bunch of different authors. And at one point, I think I saw Jay Shetty. And then another point, uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff came in, his mom came in, his children, his three kids, you know, it was really fascinating. Um, and at one point, he's talking about his mom. And he's, um, he's talking about his mom and, um, and about the violence and abuse that he saw as a kid. His dad was a military guy. He was very strict, very demanding. And his dad used to say something to him like, you know, when I give you a mission and that mission could just be like, go to the store and get me some cigarettes or, or you have to build this wall or you're going to do this. His dad used to say to him, just to give you an example of the strictness, uh, the, the intensity and the discipline is his father would say to him, um, you have two options. When I give you a mission, you either complete the mission, you're successful or you you're dead, <laughs> right? If you don't, you either finish this thing or there's a possibility of you're dead. Um, and so will will said this in his book, he said, when I was nine years old, I watched my father punch my mother in the side of the head so hard that she collapsed. I saw her spit blood and it was a very powerful moment. It was a very powerful moment because I think at this particular reading, when he was reading this part out loud, his mom was there and he was talking about how so much of his persona, who he became, the character that he created as Will Smith, uh, the bravado and the, the extreme excess of excellence and um, success right? Being the best at things um, was to basically hide that he felt like a, a coward inside. And this still isn't even what this podcast ultimately is all about, but we're getting close. So at one point, his dad, I think, died in 2016. So his dad was not one of the people who could respond to what he wrote. But there was a clip, an old video clip from, I think, around 2016, before his father died, where his father was being interviewed. And the question that they asked his dad, and now we're getting to the hot beat of what this, this, this is about. They, the question they asked the dad is, is there anything that you wish you had done differently? Meaning when Will and his brother were like growing up, right? Will's childhood. Is there anything you wish you had done differently? And this is what his father says. So his father kept getting emotional. And he said, that's a tough one. 
This is the dad speaking now. That's a tough one. There are things I regret doing them the way that I did them. I really regret that on occasion I would fly off the handle. Now here's the key. This is the hot beat of the show. Listen to this sentence. I wish I had had that ability to give things more thought before reacting. So this is his regret right here. I really regret that I would fly off the handle. So when somebody flies off the handle, what happens is they're leaving their right mind. They are leaving their right mind. They are taking what we would call in the Course in Miracles, a detour into fear. Uh, they are not thinking with love. And when you're not thinking with love, then you are not really thinking at all. You're hallucinating. You have forgotten yourself. You are out of your mind, okay? So this line right here has like just kept replaying in my head for the rest of the night. I wish I had had that ability to give things more thought before reacting. Now, of course, because this is, um, I'm sure he was also referring to Will's mom somewhere in there without saying her name. And it got me to thinking about my own mom. It got me to thinking about my mother because I have said so many times that I really do believe that on some level, if the guy that had murdered her, who beat her to death, if he had had any kind of mind training, if he had had, like, I, I shouldn't say any, he probably needed a shit ton, but this is why it's important, right? If he had had the capacity to stop and not react to be able to realize, right? So basically what happens is when people are having that moment, when they slip into rage, when they slip into anger, when they slip into that, um, that violent place where they are not having rational thoughts, they have, they have kind of, like I said, they've gone out of their mind, right? They fly, quote unquote, like Will's dad, they fly off the handle. And I think to myself, if he had had the capacity to pause and stop and slow the fuck down and think about what he was doing, that my mother might still be alive, that my mom might still be here, that he wouldn't have done, you know, the awful, brutal, violent, terrible, cowardly things that he did. And this is why mind training is so important. So in A Course in Miracles, you, you may have heard me say this on the show before. And, um, you know, there's a line that says, an untrained mind can accomplish nothing. Uh, in other, in other um, spiritual traditions, I've heard it something like, very similar, right? They just use a different word. An undisciplined mind can accomplish nothing, right? It can't do jack shit, an untrained mind. And one of the things that I realized now, like in, in terms of Will's father, right, punching his mother uh, in the side of the head so hard that she collapsed and spit blood. Uh, and in the case of the guy that murdered my mother, those are very extreme cases, right? They're very extreme examples. But I will tell you this, in the work that I do as a spiritual member, uh, a spiritual mentor, uh, the work that I do in my membership, The Nest, with people who come into The Nest. Um, just me being out in the world and listening to people's stories, right? If I'm 53, I've been around the block a long time and I've always been a person that people have um, 
for whatever reason, felt comfortable sharing with me their, their stories, their trauma, the things they're ashamed about, the things that they have guilt and regret about, right? Not just clients. I mean, just friends, people, people I've met on buses, public places, right? Um, people have often felt safe sharing things with me. And so one of the things that I know is so often people have that moment where they say like, I wish I wouldn't have, and then fill in the blank, said the thing, did the thing, didn't do the thing, whatever. And I did a whole episode on regret and you can go listen to that too. It's a nice sister complimentary uh, episode to this one. And so when I think about our need for mind training, it's because if we do not have the capacity to place our mind where we want it, which also means because if we cannot um, do something about our thoughts, and I'm going to make a comment about this in a second. If we cannot do something about those unwily, insane ego thoughts, um, if we cannot rein them in, if we cannot have any kind of discipline or training in our mind, then we are often going to find ourselves in positions where either we are suffering or we are inflicting suffering on others. I'm going to say that again. If we do not create the capacity to discipline or train our minds so that we can recognize a, a thought and the quality of the thought as it's happening, then we are going to either end up usually experiencing a lot of suffering or inflicting it on others. And, you know, so often people will say to me, so I have to learn how to control my thoughts. And I often say, no, like you cannot. You can't, most of us can't control our thoughts. Just like most of us, I would say almost all of us, right? I use most to be general because I always say I'm not a, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychotherapist. So there might be, you know, some, something that I don't know. But I will say from my personal experience, which is the only thing I'm always speaking from, is that most of us cannot control our thoughts and we cannot control our feelings. Those things are going to arise without our permission. Right. In A Course in Miracles, we say the ego always speaks first and loudest. And I always put in parentheses and it's always wrong. Right. So we often are reacting to the world around us, feeling like we're at the effect of the world around us. We don't realize that we're actually the cause, but that's again, you know, podcast for another day. So here's the thing. We cannot often control our thoughts. And I mean, like you see something, you smell something, you hear something, you experience something, you taste something. And usually we cannot stop control the first thought that pops into our head. We often cannot stop the first feeling that we have. If I walk into a room, I always say one of the, one of the, the things that the body, one of the, I always say one of the things that the body is really good at is it's an incredible communication device. It lets us know some things, right? And oftentimes my, my senses, um, my five senses, right? What I see, what I smell, what I taste, what I feel, what I hear, but also that sixth sense, that intuitive sense, the intuition, um, it, it has all these receptors beyond my five senses where I can walk into a room and immediately feel, ooh, something's off here. Or, ooh, I love the energy in this space. And you can double amen hands if you've had that experience too. So we can't always control our thoughts. We can't always control our feelings. But what we can do, here's the part where we have 
mind training, what we can control is what we think about our thoughts and our feelings. Let me say that again. We can't always control our thoughts and our feelings, but what we can control is what we think about our thoughts and our feelings. And, you know, sometimes our thoughts and our feelings are going to arise like, I always say, sometimes unexpectedly and sometimes bizarrely, because some part of our memory bank or our reptilian brain, right, the lizard brain, that old survival brain is going to be up in your business before you even know it. And um, Don Javier, who is a shaman, um, I heard this from his, um, his brother-in-law, who's an apprentice to him, Jim Fortin. And he says, Don Javier always says that thoughts move faster than the speed of sound. Sometimes thoughts happen like so fast. And sometimes like you're, you know, the brain, I'm going to do a whole thing on the head and the hat, the brain, uh, the brain and the body. I'm going to do a whole thing about navigating the world, like through, from these two different places. But, um, you know, one of the things that happens is like the brain is such a supercomputer that you can have like a thought and immediately before you even know you've had the thought, the body is responding to the thought. Now there's a lot of debate about um, whether the body speaks first or the mind speaks first, whether your feelings are generated from your thoughts, right? I, I kind of am in that camp a little, I mean, I'm in, I kind of see both. Let me just say this, I'm not choosing sides, <laughs> but you will often hear me say your thoughts create your feelings because I know how fast the supercomputer of the mind works. But there's also a, a school of thought that the body feels first, and then we have thoughts about what we're feeling. I think I am not omnipotent. I do not fucking quote unquote know which one of those are true. So I hold possibility that um, maybe they're both true. <laughs> but I usually know that for me, I can only speak for me, um, that I can have a thought in my mind that can certainly affect my body. And I also know people who feel anxiety and they'll say they'll have a feeling first and then it creates a quality of thought. So like I said, jury is out on which one comes first, but here's the thing, the work that I'm talking about, about mind training or being able to discipline the mind. This is, this is the work right here. It, it's that being able to observe our thoughts, being able to observe our thoughts and observe our feelings with curiosity and without compulsion. To be able to experience a thought or a feeling and approach it with curiosity and not compulsion, meaning that we don't have to do anything about the thought or the feeling. We don't have to do anything about them or with them. So often what happens is we have a thought, oh, they're disrespecting me, fuck them, right? Right, immediately it's like, oh, we, we have an insane thought. Again, we leave our right mind, we take a detour into fear. The mind is running so fast. The ego operator is driving that bus right for the cliff. And what we don't usually have the capacity for, for most people, is the ability to pump the brakes, to put on the brakes of the speeding train of the mind and say, this is a fucking crazy thought. Maybe I don't want to have this sucker. Maybe like, and so one of the things that I'll ask myself sometimes is I'll, I'll have a thought and I'll say, 
do I want to think this thought? <laughs> right. I do a whole thing in the nest. I'm working. I'm going to share. I'm going to share where I, I say to myself, do I want to think this? I ask myself, is this a helpful thought? <laughs> because look, I have a lot of crazy thoughts because remember, I am not exempt. Vicky with two K's, right? The protector, she's in there. She's got something to say about everything. And so the ego mind comes up and it's like, bleh, like vomits itself, like bleh, just says its whole thing, right? And then I'll say to myself, do I want to think this thought? Is it helpful? And if the answer is no, then I ask myself this, what do I want to think instead? What do I want to think instead? But here's the thing, you guys. If I'm on a runaway train, it is hard to rein that sucker in. It is hard to put the brakes on that, that speeding engine, right? The caboose is like, it's like trying to drag, like drag things to a stop, right? I try to think of like Fred Flintstone, those little feet like that, and it's off, off to the races. And so one of the things we have to be able to do is slow down our mind enough that we can actually choose the quality of the thought not the initial one, the initial one's going to happen. But when we can start to train our minds and discipline ourselves to understand that I could choose differently, I could choose again, I could choose a better teacher, I could choose a better quality of thought. This is why we have to watch ourselves like hawks. This is why we have to be vigilant for the quality of our mind, the quality of our words, the quality of our speech, the quality of our actions. Do I want to think this thought? So like I said, we can't often stop the initial thought or feeling, but we don't have to do anything about them. And whenever I think about this or talk about this, I cannot help but bring up one of um, my, my um, what do I want to call him? Is he one of my heroes? He's certainly one of my influences in this lifetime. And it's a gentleman named Viktor Frankl. And some of you might know him. He wrote a book called, I think, Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl was, was a neurologist. He was also a psychologist. And he was also a Holocaust survivor. And I'm going to share with you two things that he said that I ponder quite frequently because I think not only are they brilliant, but they are incredible, incredibly helpful. Um, but they're only as helpful as they are put into action. So again, the work that I do is not about theorizing. This is not work for theorists. This is not work for people who just want to sit around and act all spiritual and talk about spiritual things. I'm interested in the practical application of spiritual principles, of taking these things and putting them to work in your life, that we don't just sit around and write about them and talk about, it's like we live them, we embody them, we become them. And this is how we transform from the inside out. This is how we transform ourselves. And this is how we transform and change, right? The thoughts that have not been helpful to us in the past. The thoughts when if we don't have control of them will not be helpful to us in the future because they're going to create karma and drama. <laughs> if we cannot get a hold of this crazy, and a lot of it I'm talking about is the brain. And then here's the thing. And of course, in miracles, we talk about how you know, we have a split mind. We have wrong-minded thinking, which is, which is the, basically the hellhole of the ego. And then we have right-minded thinking. It's the kind of thinking that we do with spirit or Holy Spirit, the inner teacher. And I often think about, I often talk about it like the, the mind is like a duplex and you have the ego on one side and Holy Spirit or spirit on the other side. And right above that, like the North Star sits like the decision maker. And this is what I'm talking about, the decision maker. 
that's the part of your mind you really need to get in touch with. Like, hmm, do I want to like believe the insane thought of this ego mind of mine, or do I want to choose a better teacher who represents love and unity and compassion and kindness and the right, the right way of thinking, right? Or do I want to stay in the cycle of oppression and hell and victimization and guilt and shame and blame and meanness and, you know, all, all the stuff that just keeps us suffering. So I'm going to share two things that Victor Frankl said. And, and here's the thing. Um, there's no way I'm not going to take smarty pants advice from somebody who found a way to not only survive the Holocaust, but to come back and help others and share his experience from that place. The wisdom and the knowledge that, um, there's just no way. <laughs> so I highly encourage you to, to pull up close boys and girls. If you were like, I always think of like, when I do this podcast, like back in the day when there was like only radios, there weren't even TVs yet. And the family would like hover around, like sit around, you know, the, uh, the radio and listen to the old broadcast shows. And it'd be like, listen closely boys and girls. <laughs> okay. Listen to this. This is one of the most genius statements. And I would say, get a fucking pen if you have not heard this before. I'll read it twice. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So, what he's saying here, I'll read it again. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. So think about this between thoughts and the words that come out of your mouth, between thoughts and your actions, between thoughts and your choices and behaviors, there is a space, there's a gap. We talk about this also in yoga. We talk about this in the practice of meditation. We talk about this, of course, in A Course in Miracles as well. That even on the inhale, when we inhale up, there is that momentary pause. There is that space between breaths. When we have a thought, this is why if we um, do not have mind training, it's like the mind becomes like a train with one thought hooked to the other one with no gap between them. And that train is a runaway train. So if you ever talk to somebody when they're freaking out, when they're having, um, uh, sometimes if they're panicked, right. And, you know, you ever see in the movie when some, when a terrible thing happens, a tragedy happens and somebody's just sitting at home minding their own business and they get a phone call and the person's like, oh my God, and they're like, whoa, 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 slow down. I can't understand you. Slow down. Take a breath. What's happening. That's like a runaway train, but we only see it kind of personified in movies after an accident or a tragedy. But I will tell you this, for a shit ton of people in the world, that's how their mind always is, right? It's like, it's like one thought attached to the next thought, attached to the next thought, attached to the next thought. And we wonder why there's insomnia and exhaustion and all these other things, because the mind has no discipline. It's like a gerbil. It's like, it's like, um, a, a neurotic, you know, um, yeah, think about it just like that gerbil wheel, right? It's the monkey mind. It's the chattering nonstop monkey mind. And this is why in yoga, in the yoga sutras, there's that, um, you know, it says yoga chittas vritti narodaha, 
Yoga is the cessation of the thought fluctuations of the mind. Yoga is that stilling of the, 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 the fluctuations the of the mind. And if we don't have control of that, you guys, we do not have freedom. And we can't even grow because we don't even know how insane we are in that moment. And I don't use the word insane flippantly, but we literally leave our right mind. We are not thinking with love when we are constantly in that speeded up, hurried up, anxious, uh, proverbial like diarrhea of the mouth and of the mind, right? You know what I'm saying? So when he says in this, in that space between stimulus and response is our power to choose your response. In that space between the stimulus, can you believe they said that to me or something happens? We have a moment, a brief moment and if we're slowed down enough, we can recognize this is the space where I get to choose before I react, before I respond. He also said this. He says, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. The last human freedom is to choose one's attitude in every guinea, in any given set of circumstances. So if you cannot choose your way, if you cannot choose your way, meaning if you do not have the capacity to choose what comes out of your mouth, what you do, how you show up, how you react or respond, you are not living in freedom. And most people are reacting from their past. They're reacting from their patterns. They're reacting from their history and their trauma and uh, their identity and the stories they tell themselves. Very few people are probably acting from a very present moment-minded place when they are in mindfulness when they are consciously choosing the quality of their words, their speech, their actions. So often we are just reacting like little puppets. We are being held hostage so often by the ego mind because we do not have mind training. An untrained mind, an undisciplined mind can accomplish nothing. This is what Viktor Frankl is saying as well. And now it's important to note that so many of our neural roots in our brain, right? They say that neurons that fire together, wire together. So if we're somebody who is quick to anger, quick to be impatient, quick to whatever, we basically create these connections, this wiring, these patterns in our brain. And they've been exercised so often that they're really strong. Their little, their little neural muscles are like, Ugh, like talk about getting in the best shape of your life, getting spiritually fit, man. It is, it is, it is no joke. It is no joke. I know because this is the work that I do in the world. Um, if you're somebody who wants to get more spiritually fit, hey, reach out to me, join the nest. I'm telling you this shit works. So here's the thing. It often, it's going to take some time to develop some new ways of being, some new roots and some new behavioral patterns in the brain, in the mind 
and also creating new behavioral patterns that will actually show up physically in the world, right? In your words, in your actions, in your um, habits, right? It, it's going to take a little while to do that because the brains, as I've told you guys before on another episode, it likes to conserve energy. It likes to do what it already knows how to do. In yoga, we call it that samskara. But here's what I'm trying to say, you guys. The consequences of not having a trained mind. Um, and this is not, I always, I always feel like I have to, to say this PS caveat. I'm not talking about um, brainwashing. I'm talking about being able to train your mind so you can place it where you want it. So that you are able to represent yourself as you truly are, which is an extension of love. Now, sometimes the right choice is going to be, I have to be very firm here. I'm not saying that we're trying to train our minds so that we're always so loving and good. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about being able to actually, though, make a choice because when we aren't able to make a choice, what we see in the day-to-day -day life are a thousand little decisions and choices that you make that are probably not helpful to you. Everything from what you're eating to who you're spending time with to how you're spending your money to the choices that you're making to go to the gym or not go to the gym, to um, start your business or not start your business, to write the book or not write. I mean, like a thousand, I couldn't name them here. It's not even thousands. It would be millions of individual decisions. And if we do not have a grip on our gray matter, if we do not have a grip on our habits, our ability, like I said, the discipline, this is why, you know, one of the modules we do in the nest is called the five D's of DSP, the five D's of daily spiritual practice. And one of them is discipline because I know the power of daily spiritual practices to start to give ourselves a fighting chance against the tyranny of our own mind. This is what we're seeking is freedom from the ego mind. Not trying to kill the ego mind because there's nothing to kill because on some level, it's just ridiculous and silly. And when I'm able to look at my ego mind through the lens and with the help of my inner teacher, which I happen to call Holy Spirit, you can just call it spirit, call it your intuition. I don't care what you call it. When I'm able to look at the ego mind, I realize how ridiculous and petty and small and scared and all that it is. I don't have to take it seriously. The ego only has the power that we give to it. But if we don't recognize that, then we really chug its Kool-Aid and we really get caught up in it. And it can have, you know, sometimes not that big of a deal consequences, but sometimes it costs people their lives. It causes a lot of damage and a lot of violence and a lot of suffering. And I've seen it at work in my own life in both big and humongous ways. I see it, uh, you know, listening to Will's dad. And, you know, as he got older and as that military self, that very violent kind of uh, self started to get old, started to move towards death because that's where we're all going, P.S. He started to gain a little more clarity and a little more softness and a little more wisdom. And he says, I wish that I had had the ability to give things more thought before reacting. And, you know, we might not be out there punching people in the side of the head or beating people to death, but it, the things that we do that cause harm, they come from that same place. 
the, the, the consequences in your life might not be as extreme, but I know how bad, I know how bad things can go when people do not have the capacity uh, to actively manage our thoughts and manage our responses and manage our minds. And this is why um, our need for disciplining the mind to be able to slow down so that the space between the thoughts where choice actually happens, maybe it can grow just a tiny bit enough where we can recognize I'm having this insane thought. Is this a thought that God would have me think? Or is this a thought that my highest self would have me think? Is this a thought that is thought with love? Is this a thought that I want to keep and believe? Is this something that I want to make now into a story where I'm going to have this whole reaction? Again, I really do believe I'm like, my mother might still be alive if he had been able to control her killer had been able to control it. You know, it also made me think about another story that I saw one time about this guy in Colorado. Oh, this guy in Colorado who felt really wronged. He felt really wronged by a lot of people in the town. And he kept obsessing over this thought. Hold on, I got to take a sip. He kept obsessing over this thought of unfairness of what the town had done. And, you know, it started off, I think, with like a land dispute, or like a real estate dispute, um, a factory or something, a concrete factory or something in his town. And then people at town hall weren't siding with him. And then like it all just went to hell in a handbasket. His relationship with his lady fell apart and all this stuff. But he kept obsessing on it. He kept obsessing. He had no gap. He had no gap, no ability to reason, no ability to step into that space between stimulus, his rage, his anger, his thoughts of unfairness, and his actions, his response to his thoughts in that stimulus. And the guy became obsessed. You may have seen this online. You can just Google it. And he basically, um, he was a welder. I guess he was a really talented welder. He had a muffler shop and in secret over whatever the period of time was, he basically outfitted this huge bulldozer with like armor. He created this tank basically using a bulldozer. And it was like layers of basically like, I think they said it was armor and concrete and it was like bulletproof. And he was really smart. And on the inside, I'm not saying he was, um, I mean, he, let's say he was intelligent. I'm not saying he was emotionally intelligent or spiritually intelligent, but technically in terms of building things, he was very, very intelligent and he was able to outfit this thing. And so on the inside, there was really no way for anybody to get in. Like once he was in, he locked himself in and he had built like he had put like TV cameras inside, like, uh, like uh, monitors so we could see where he was going because he couldn't see any other way. And he also had like, I don't know, rifles and guns in there. Like it was just a shit show. And this guy went on a rampage, a rampage. He snapped enough is enough. He snapped because he did not have a disciplined mind. He had, and now some people might argue in fairness, oh, he had a disciplined mind. He just focused it. <laughs> he focused, he was able to direct and focus his mind on destruction but he didn't have the ability to step in and question himself. Like, is this a sane thing? Is this a helpful thing? Is this a good thing? A loving thing? A just thing? Is this how I want to handle this problem? And he went on a rampage, you guys. And he meticulously planned and he, he knocked down like a bank 
and he knocked down um, that concrete factory that he was in dispute with. Um, I think he knocked down like a hardware store, the town hall, the police department. But like in the town hall is where the little library was. And there's all these little kids in there. And thank God, the librarians, God bless the librarians, double amen hands for them. They got all the little kids out and got them home safely before he went over there and he bulldozed the building. And, you know, the whole town, like a bunch of the town, most of the town got totally destroyed. Millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of damage and destruction because this guy did not have mind training. He was not able to choose in place where he wanted to put his mind in a, in a way that was actually going to be helpful instead of harmful. Um, and, you know, he ended up, he, he eventually ended up getting blocked off um, in his, in his, um, his engine that he had built on, on the bulldozer engine, you know, it peed it out, tuck it out. He was going through, uh, I think mid, it was like a steel building and he got stuck there and the engine died. Uh, and rather than been take, be, be taken in and held accountable, you know, he shot himself, he killed himself. The whole thing is just a fucking tragedy. And I just think like, oh my God, right? Because this is the power of an undisciplined mind. <laughs> I mean, the mind when put free, I just think like, oh my God, when we, when we use it, when we use it for good things, we just become unstoppable but also when we use it for destructive things and we are not able to use it the way that we want to. And in A Course in Miracles in lesson, I wanna say it's lesson 20, um, there's this little section on disciplining the mind and I'm just gonna read it to you. Um, it says, you want to be happy, you want peace. You do not have them now because your mind is totally undisciplined. And you cannot distinguish between joy and sorrow, pleasure and pain, love and fear. It goes on to say, through the practice of doing the lessons, this is what it's implying, that you are now learning how to tell them apart. And great indeed will be your reward. And not just, this is me now talking, not just your reward, but by you doing the work to discipline the mind, to train the mind, the reward ripples out and affects everybody that you shall meet. You become, you know how at the end of the show, I always say, wherever you go, leave yourself, the people, the place, the animal, right? The environment better than how you found it. Wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Well, if you do not have a mind that is trained, we often end up, instead of going out into the world as an inspiration or as a positive influence, we go out inflicting ourselves on other people, right? Let me say this again. You want to be happy. You want peace. You do not have them now because your mind is totally undisciplined. And when your mind is undisciplined and you don't have clear vision, because you can't slow down enough to even know what the fuck you're thinking. It says you cannot distinguish between joy and sorrow, pleasure and pain, love and fear, which is a way of saying is these things that you think you're choosing, quote unquote choosing, you're not really choosing at all. You can't even tell that these things that you're choosing that you think are good for you are actually not good for you at all because your mind is so untrained. And guys, here's the thing. It takes time. It takes time because the neural network in your brain is like no joke. 
the patterns that we've created, the samskaras, that's what we call them in yoga. They're no joke, but it takes time. And often it takes help. And this is one of the powers of having a great spiritual community where like-minded people are doing similar work because it's not easy lifting. I always say, this is like squat. This is like lifting weights with Jesus. That's what I <laughs> oh, I'm starting to get a little punchy. My blood sugar is a little low. I got to go eat dinner and feed the kids. So you guys, that's, that's, that's what I got for you today is this awareness of what we need to do. And then you might be like, Hey, KK, how do we do this then? How do we start to train the mind? You guys, there are so many ways that we start to do this through meditation, contemplation, slowing down. Um, you know, for, for, for a lot of people, it's doing the daily lessons of A Course in Miracles. That is mind training. And A Course in Miracles, you are literally training your mind to relinquish a thought system of fear. The old patterns, the ego conditioning from your environment that basically creates them, that basically creates your experiences and the meanings and the interpretations that you assign to them, which then is how we start to write some stories that we have and these beliefs that we have. And this is how we create an identity and an identity that just basically is how we move through the world. So one of the great things about A Course in Miracles is it's training your mind to be attuned to your inner teacher to the voice for love, the voice, the memory of God's love. And we're relinquishing, right? We're learning how to slow down and to stop looking out there for the solutions and to turn inward to the inner peace, the inner happiness, the love that has always been there, the love that is always abiding within you, the part of you that does not um, get hijacked or held hostage by the ego, the part of you that is the host for God, that is the host for love. And so, um, you know, the nest is one of those beautiful places that you can gather with other like-minded people who are doing this work. And the reason why the nest is a membership and an ongoing thing, and not just like a 10 week, you know, course, or just like whatever, um, is because I know, I know what it takes for people to actually create lasting change. This isn't any get quick, rich spirituality. You know what I mean? Like everybody wants to get, get, get the results wicked fast. Well, that's great. But things that usually last take some time because the mother of all learning is through repetition. The mother of all learning is through repetition because we have to first relinquish and let go of the old thought patterns and then start to replace them right? With better things. We're training the mind to know that it actually even has a choice, first of all. And I can go on and on and on about it. But you guys, I think in January, I'm going to be doing a quick little flash sale to the nest, like a two day, a 48 hour, like a little sucker, a little like get in or get out type of a thing. So if you want to, um, you know, be in, in a community with a, where there's a lot of collective wisdom, where I have some amazing, um, guest teachers and myself doing, you know, I do coaching in that program in the nest and the membership in the community. Uh, it's, it's killer, man. Just go to karenkenny.com slash nest. You can read all about it, but get on the waiting list because when I usually do these flash sales, um, I'll let people know that they're happening, but usually, um, the people on the waiting list are the first ones uh, to find out. So come join us. I think it would be amazing. And I hope this was somehow helpful for you today. 
That's always my hope, right? It's always my hope. I know that by doing these shows and talking about these things out loud, you know, the first and foremost person that I'm helping is myself. Uh, you know, I don't share all this stuff because it's like, uh, um, because I've got it all down like perfectly. I, I am also, you know, um, remembering who I truly am. The, and I always say this is, I was, I was going to say becoming, but it's not so much about becoming. It's about being and realizing who and what you already are. It's about being the thing as you have been created, which is love. Uh, and a mind that is, uh, you know, my, my meditation teacher, Shwaran, I think it's Meher Baba who first said this, and I might butcher it a little bit. I don't mean to, but he basically says a mind that is fast is sick. A mind that is slow is um, a mind that is slow is um, mind that is slow is healthy or something like that. And then a mind that is still is divine. Oh no, I know what it is. I think it's a mind that is fast is sick. A mind that is, is, that is slower is, um, um, is sound, right? Can make sound decisions. And then a mind that is still is divine. And that's what we want. We want to be able to access that still part of the mind, the place in that space between the thought and the word, the thought and the action, the thought and the choice and the behavior, but the stimulus and the response as Victor Frankl calls it. So I hope this was helpful to you in some way. I love you so much. If you're listening to this, if you can hear the sound of my voice, I appreciate you staying on until the end. Uh, I really do. Uh, I never take it for granted. I already know, like, I, I think about this all the time. Like we are all marching towards death, you know, no matter what we accomplish in this life, no matter what we do, we're all heading towards the same outcome, which is, you know, we're all going to die. And our time here is really short. And when you hit a certain age, it's not about being um, like sad or depressed or weird about it. In fact, I'm not like my awareness of my own impending death, whenever that is, um, it makes me so much more grateful and appreciative for any time that I have left. And what do I want to do with that time? And part of it is I want to connect with you guys. And that's why I do the show. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the Karen Kenny show family. I love you guys and I appreciate you and I celebrate you and I feel you in my heart. Thank you so much for um, being a part. Uh, and if you're not already on my newsletter list, please join me. This is where you get extra storytelling. You get these podcasts delivered right into your inbox and you can just do that through karenkenny.com. Uh, sign up one word. Um, so just thank you so much, you guys, wherever you go, wherever you go, I hope, first of all, that you're having a fantastic holiday season, whatever you happen to celebrate. Um, and wherever you go, whoever you encounter along the way, please leave yourself, the people, the place, the animals, the environment better than how you found it. Wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Bye. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Karen Kenny Show. <laughs> I super duper appreciate your time, friendship, and support. And look, if something that I shared from my heart today somehow landed in yours, I'd love to hear about it. So please tag me on Facebook or Instagram or IG stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days. And let me know what your favorite pot was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen, K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E. -E. And if you're digging what I'm saying and you want to hear more, I'd be wicked grateful if you could go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review because you guys, that's how you'll help me to keep spreading the love. And if you can think of someone that could benefit from hearing this episode, 
please share it with them. I'd also love to stay connected with you. So if the feeling is mutual, please go to karenkenny.com backslash freebie and download my free guide to building your spiritual team. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, keep living in the fearless flow. Know that I see you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing.